This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> Welcome to the latest episode of the Total Saints podcast. Yes, we're back after the Christmas celebrations and just about ready to go again. Firstly, and assuming we take football out of the equation, we'd like to wish all of you watching and or listening a very happy, healthy and successful 2023. Like our previous pods this season, we're once again live streaming the episode on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter and Twitch. So if you're watching along, please do post your questions or opinions and I'll aim to read as many of them out as possible. I'm not sure we want the entire episode to be full-scale doom and gloom, so why not have a think about a Saints positive you're taking from 2022 or realistic hope you have for the club in 2023 and share them in the comments box. Come on, you can do it. Send good vibes only. My name is Ben Stanfield, and joining me on this week's podcast are the owner of Saints Web, Steve Grant, the man behind the League One Minus 10 blog, Clender de Claw, and the Daily Echo's dedicated Saints journalist, Alfie House. And a happy new year to you guys as well. As always, we'd like to say... <laughs> As always, we'd like to say a big thank you to all our global patrons who underpin TSP and help to keep the show on the road. I'm delighted to welcome a new patron to the ranks this week. Richard Lee has signed up to support the podcast. So Richard, thanks for your support and welcome to the patron community. If, like Richard, you'd like to become a podcast patron, then you can find out more details at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Total Saints Podcast. On that note, it was great to catch up with a few of our patrons before Christmas at our VIP event. Thanks again to those who were able to make it along from various corners of the world. I've avoided talking about the elephant in the room for long enough now. On this week's podcast, Christmas cheer is replaced by festive frustration as Saints record back-to-back defeats against Brighton and Fulham, leaving us rooted to the foot of the Premier League table. And like trying to be as enthusiastic as possible when opening that annual Lynx body wash set from your nan, we look ahead to the next two fixtures for Nathan Jones' side, Nottingham Forest in the Premier League, and the trip to face Crystal Palace in the FA Cup. Underpinned by our global patrons, this is Total Saints Podcast, episode 215. Your home for everything Southampton FC. From dedicated Saints insight to exclusive interviews. Live on YouTube every Sunday and available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
This is the Total Saints Podcast. Yes, Saints remain the strongest team in the Premier League, holding everyone else up after another disappointing loss, this time against Fulham. Glenn, Nathan Jones decided to revert to his preferred three centre-backs for the game with Bella Kotchak coming in alongside Lianko and Salasu. Roman Peru missed out, presumably after his knock against Brighton, while Joe Rebo also started, but there was still no Stuart Armstrong. We'll get into some of the key moments shortly, but what did you make of the lineup overall? Um, when I first saw it, I thought, okay, we've got five defenders there. You can see that. We appear to only have one midfielder and what on earth is going on with the rest of the team? You knew Che Adams would be up front. So I was a bit mystified with, with the way it was going to work. It was basically 3-4-3, three, three, wasn't it, with Elianusi in the middle with um, with Ward-Prowse. Didn't really work in the first half. We created a couple of chances, but ended up 1-0 down because we dozed off at a free kick, which apparently everyone knew was coming. You could certainly see it coming. Uh, you could see the guy hanging around on the edge of the penalty area with half the pitch to himself sort of thing. Um, knew it was coming. A little bit unfortunate. So... Yeah, every time I see a formation with three at the back, I just think we've never, ever, with this set of players, played particularly well in that formation. I assume that's what they were working on in the in the during the World Cup, but it's it's kind of hard to tell because it, it it just looks shambolic, to be honest. Yeah, and um, when we went away from the three at the back during the game, we we looked better and we got back into the game, and then we we seemed, I think to go back to the three at the back at the end of the game and took, took the foot off the gas, allowed Fulham to come onto us and, and lost the game. And it's just, it, it just seems to be an obsession that this new manager has to go with, with three at the back. It doesn't suit us, doesn't suit the players we've got. And, um, you know, it, it, it's just another desperately disappointing day to go with the, the Brighton game, which was, which was even worse to be mm. fair. But they're a lot better team than Fulham. I, yeah. I don't even think Fulham are any good. I know they're eighth in the league or seventh in the league, but to me, that's indicative of how poor the league is, not how good Fulham are. I didn't think they were particularly good. So, uh, yeah, starting lineup, poor. And um, that formation, every formation we try with three at the back, every variation, poor. Yeah. Alfie, you were there yesterday. I'm probably going to catch you, like everyone else, completely off guard with a uh, an immediate constructive question. But... Uh, what did you feel Saints did well over the 90 minutes? I have actually had to make some notes on this just to be absolutely <laughs> certain. And look, obviously, the main positive was that James Ward-Prowse scored a free kick for the first time this season. Obviously, we want to see that more often and hopefully it gives him a little bit of confidence. But I felt that the it's the same as every week. I'm getting a little bit bored about talking about it, really. And I know we've just come back after however long off, but it's the same every week. It's some parts of the performance are okay. Um, you know, they got a really good reaction in, in the second half from the four at the back as well. So hopefully, again, we we, we learn from that and we stick to that. But this missed chances, um, once again, that the cost them, poor defending that cost them. Um, I think something that they didn't do well, but we might have done well, is that hopefully we'll never see a right-hand side of uh, Ainsley, Maitland-Niles and Joe Rebo ever again, because <laughs> you need more movement than that, I'm afraid. Both, both of them can be good players, but... Just, just any movement would be a start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just you need, you need something there. And we won't see that again, which is a bonus, I would say. Yeah. Um, Steve, in true Saints style, uh, we managed to go in 1-0 down at the break to a team that hadn't even had a shot on target. Um, obviously, the the goal came, as uh, Glenn mentioned, from a, a corner um, deflection from a, a shot that was going pretty wide, flew past Bazzino off James Ward-Prowse. Um, it's the old adage, isn't it, that I suppose when you're down there, those things go against you? 
Um, well, they do, but it also comes down to us kind of not being in the right positions and everyone's kind of them frantically running around and trying to desperately get themselves into the right position. And it's because they're not actually set in the position that these sort of things happen. I mean, if someone was even vaguely keeping an eye on uh, Pereira on the edge of the area, then that sort of just dinked, um, dinked corner just gets headed away and it's no danger whatsoever. I mean, I've seen, like, I've seen a lot of comments about the lack of possession that we had. Like first half, certainly comment, commentators were sort of making big, big no, sort of noise about the fact that Fulham had had 72% possession. But like, I mean, if we, I mean, obviously on the flip side, we've had 28 and actually created far more chances than, than Fulham did. Even though we weren't really, we weren't really sort of imposing ourselves on the game, but it was such a scrappy midfield that neither side could really get their foot on it. But we had twenty eight percent possession and, and made all the chances. If that had been the other way, like and people have been moaning about it, if that had been the other way round and we'd been seventy two percent and not and not mustered a shot on target against the team bottom of the league, um, daggers would have been out. It's like, well, I mean, what what exactly are you are you asking from um, from these players? And it, it's it's just infuriating because you can't, you just want you want people i mean I'm, i mean i know it's it's nonsense asking football fans to give a balanced opinion but <laughs> just at, just at least be slightly understanding of of the situation sometimes and yeah i mean it's 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 individual mistakes that that are costing us and it's it's at both ends and this is not new news i mean we were we were better yesterday than we were against brighton as glenn says that was an incredibly low bar it would have been I mean, it would have been some achievement to have somehow been worse. But yeah, I mean, it's it's frustrating that, that we've given the goal away as we have. But I mean, those two individual moments don't come down to systems or, to, or even team selections. They come down to individuals being switched on at the right time. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure you can coach that. It's it's one of those you, you're either switched on or you're not. And it's not... A, I'm, I'm not sure there's a, I mean, maybe it's a psych, psychological thing. You get a psychologist in from outside to try and improve the, the alertness and the awareness of players. I don't know. It's, but that's, that's what, that's what was essentially missing from yesterday. Cause yeah, I mean, as Glenn said, I did, I mean, Fulham were, were poor. I thought, um, kept Mitrovic very quiet. Um, I mean, he's a guy who's got what, seven or eight Premier League goals already this season. Ten. And yeah, yeah I mean, he, he didn't, didn't trouble us at all, really. Obviously missed the penalty late on, which I mean, would have massaged his um, fancy uh, score considerably, given yeah. how poor he'd been all, all afternoon. Well, me and Alfie are fuming, Steve, to be honest, because we had 3-1 <laughs> Fulham. So. <laughs> Alfie, I was going to ask about that, because uh, after the game, uh, obviously Nathan James has said, quote, we showed them the players the set play for Fulham's first goal 10 times. They do the same set piece every time. It's not something that's off the cuff. They do that week in, week out. So mm. a bit like Steve said there, you know, is it down to players not taking on the instructions is it down to as steve said there rightly you know players just switching off a lack of communication on the pitch i mean you know what what do you think is bringing about these mistakes well i think the evidence is is in front of your eyes we've seen it under it was the reason that ralph hasner was ultimately sacked yes he lost his way but he, he was sacked because there were a number of individual errors that lost him games they didn't really deserve to lose in the final sort of five or six weeks and um, and we're seeing that again like like steve says how do you actually resolve that um how do you switch people on how do you how do you sort of get them going? I don't know. I mean, that has to come down to, I guess, the motivation and, and the management. But yeah, they're absolutely falling foul of mischances and, and terrible concessions. You know, obviously Gavin Bazunu has fallen foul to to a couple um, versus Brighton and and against Lincoln as well. And 
you just think as a manager, whatever you may feel about somebody being out of their depth or, or being given a chance that perhaps, you know, the, 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 right, the timing wasn't right because it was too much of a risk. He can't help his players chucking away points in the 87th minute and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And Glenn, I can see Raul has mentioned it as well. Um, you know, even more annoyingly, that, that first goal coming after Shea Adams having another one-on-one attempt that, you know, potentially if yeah. that goes in, it's a different game. And I think we all admire Shea for his work rate, don't we? But if you think back to Crystal Palace away, two glorious chances, that incredible yeah. one-yard handball goal against Wolves. I mean, these are the chances that <laughs> In the yeah, Premier League, a... I mean, these are the four or five extra points that are stopping other teams getting points as well, potentially costing mm-hmm. Ralph his job. You know, it's yeah. at, at that level, you've got to put them away. Of course you do, but he is what he is. We all, we all know what he is. He's, he's never going to be anything other than what he is. He's going to be a one goal in five chances type of striker, and there's going to be some horrible misses in there, and he's still the best we got. So mm. he, he I, I find it... If you look at Che Adams against Fulham, I mean, the only thing I will say about the 28% possession is that because most of the time we were booting it over his head. Mm-hmm. He was he spent the whole game being marked by Issa Diop, who is mm. massive. And also ball, not actually very good in the air, surprisingly. Yeah, but he doesn't have to be good in the air because all he was doing was standing behind Che, making mm. sure he couldn't get to the ball and the ball was running through to the goalkeeper. Mm. It's just garbage football that might work in the championship doesn't work in the Premier League unless you 100% commit to it and play the Burnley way, which is Mm. to have two big units up front and two wingers on the correct sides who make the pitch wide and get the ball into the box every... And we're kind of doing this half and half thing at the moment. But yeah, Che should have scored. He got put through. I think he thought he was offside. He never looked confident that he was going to score. Is his, mm. his touch infield to get it onto his right foot, which of course is his best foot, took it too close to Leno and gave him the chance to come out, and and that's that's a shame. It did actually get him; it, it was actually on target, and mm. it goes down, it goes down as a decent save. But from where he was, and when he when he got the ball, Leno shouldn't have had a chance. Uh, yeah. But that's that's what we got. We haven't got an, we haven't got another striker. None of our other players would have scored that. Maybe Joe Arebo, but he wouldn't have run. He'd have, been, he'd have been sat on his sunbed somewhere, just just chilling, man, because he just, you know, it, it, he, he's a good finisher, but he's he just, you know, I've never seen a more lackadaisical player in my life. Mm. Unbelievable. I, I love the fact that in the comments, um, our, our watchers are having their own conversations here. Dave Beach has said, are there any teams worse than us? And Josh has just replied again, I don't think so, Dave. So there we go. It's uh, nice that everyone's having those conversations. Steve, I was just going to say, look, um, as Alfie mentioned there, we mentioned on the pod a couple of weeks ago that... Uh, James Ward-Prowse hadn't scored a free kick this season. Um, great to see him get on, on one on target yesterday and score. Um, I, I, was, I was desperately trying to think of positives when I was writing my notes because yeah. obviously everyone's uh, you know a bit down in the doldrums at the moment. He's had a you know good week um, scoring against Brighton, obviously scoring against yesterday, and I thought he actually played all right. But Samuel Adesi as well, I thought, was another positive from those two games. He's had a really good week. And if we're clutching at pro- positives here, which we are, that's maybe something that we can take out of this week. Yeah, Dozy's look good. He's he's the one the one kid we've got who's happy with the ball at his feet and running at people. He's always looking to kind of turn and face the opposition goal and run in that direction, which we haven't had anywhere near enough of in the last couple of years, really. I mean, if you look at look at who we've had in the past, Red Redmond has been good at it in fits and starts, not consistent enough. Walcott was good at it for probably three months at the start of his loan, and basically his legs have gone since. Gineppo... I mean, occasionally, but I mean, it's a, it's an, I mean, it's an absolute tombola, isn't it, with him? Um, but yeah, we don't have anybody else who can do that sort of thing. So 
to see him finally given an opportunity. I mean, the one thing we've got to be a little bit careful of is um, fitness mm-hmm. and stamina with him mm-hmm. because, uh, I mean, as we've seen with Romeo Lavia, mm-hmm. who obviously became an immediate sort of must-pick player from pretty much the first game of the season, these kids haven't played this much senior football ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we run the risk of kind of running them into the ground. We've got to be a little bit careful. Um, yeah. Dozy's obviously come off um, with cramp in both games um, that he started. Um, to be honest, that Brighton one, I'd have hauled him off earlier because that game was done um, mm. a lot, a lot sort of um, earlier than than when the sub was made. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a weird one that substitution, wasn't it? That obviously Perro was the one that came on to replace him. But you look, you kind of looked at who else we had. We basically had, I think, three strikers and um, the lad Finnegan, who's a central midfielder. And I don't think you're going to throw him into that situation out of position. Um, so. I mean, everyone said it was a it was a defensive-minded substitution, but I'm not sure really. I mean, unless you throw Adam Armstrong out there, perhaps. Mm. But other than yeah. that, I mean, you, whichever way you do it, you're putting someone out of position. At least Perro has played left left midfield yeah. before. Mm. Um, it it felt like the most natural fit. Did we actually change the formation? I'm not convinced. I think, to be honest with you, I think Roman was was so high up the pitch that I honestly don't think it changed. Uh, Mohamed Salisu was still right next to me in the press box, which was the left-hand side of the pitch. Every phase of his starting position was right mm-hmm. on the left-hand side. But I, I think they still stayed level four. But yeah, because obviously Perro had that um, on the counter where he was he mm-hmm. was the furthest one forward, and Armstrong, mm-hmm. Stu Armstrong, put the through ball to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it just seemed to me like a negative substitution, and it coincided with us. It changed the game, didn't it? Effectively, because we, we inflated five... pressure, didn't we? Yeah, well, that's the thing about Adozi because. Because Adozi is capable of beating a player, you, if he beats a player, someone else has got to come across to him. And that mm-hmm. creates space for other people. And that's why you need players who can go past people. Could have um, done with Musa Gineppo on the bench as a straight swap then, couldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he, so he was so good against Brighton. But, um, no, that, that, that guy hasn't got a clue what he's doing or when to do it or when not to do it. Not a clue. Mm, so, it's not uh, anyone. But no, I mean, I, I mean, Adam Armstrong, you know, is is obviously not great. But that that would have been the looking at it. That would have been the player I'd have brought on because at least it's someone to worry about from a pace mm. point of view mm. for their mm. right back, who I think was on a yellow card and he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't great. But that substitution that we we stepped ten yards back when we did mm. that and just invited pressure. I have to be completely honest. If I was a fullback, I'd be much more concerned marking Roman Perot than I would Adam Armstrong. I feel yeah. like he's offered a lot more going forward in the first sort of four or five months of the season. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, well, Alfie, let, twice for a start. Mm. Well, there you go. That's yeah, it's better than most of them, isn't it? Um, Alfie, let, if if my research is right, then obviously corner for the the winner. Frustrating, mm. but a bit of a you know predictable sucker punch almost. Um, I was thinking about this, and I know Martin and you guys have spoken about it um, a lot uh, over the last twelve months, maybe. But as far as I remember, all three of Liverpool's goals at Anfield were from crosses. Mm. Um, Lincoln's goal was from a cross. Two of the goals against Brighton last week were against uh, from crosses. Both of these goals in the Fulham game were from crosses, one way or another. Do you, do you, you know, I know Steve was mocking Leicester last year. It feels like we're the, the Leicester 22-23 here because we're, we're clearly struggling with crosses and set pieces. It's been going on for a long, long time, hasn't it? Um, mm. I think both uh, my colleague at the Echo, Benji and Jacob, have both done extensive long reads on how they keep conceding from from corners and crosses. Um, I said earlier on a podcast, sort of uh, maybe six, seven weeks ago, that they've had 
Um, Alex Clapham as a set-piece coach and still conceded every corner. Ruben Sellers did it for a bit, still conceded you know, two out of three corners. And I think I believe that it's now one of Nathan Jones's men doing it. And nobody can seem to, to coach these lads to, to stop a set-piece, which is obviously worrying because uh, you get the opportunity to win a lot of set-pieces when you play against a team that are only on the ball for 28% of the time because they're going to be crossing balls in, deflecting them out. They're going to be hitting the goalkeeper. He's going to have to make saves. Yeah, this is why I say when we go back to what Steve said earlier, I mean, what do you actually do with, with that? Um, I, don't, I don't think that all hope is lost. I think that this island probably, if I'm being honest, will be relegated this season, but it's not over. Um, mm-hmm. But I just feel that there isn't much for fans to to cling on to and to believe in now. And that's why it's quite upsetting. And actually, I feel that um, some of the fans haven't had a lot to believe in for quite a while because you, we've had a, an ownership change and a, and a managerial change. And on both occasions, I wouldn't say it's been underwhelming. I, I think that's a bit harsh. Um, but you look at like Newcastle and the, you know they've gone from bottom of the table to third with their ownership and, and at the moment we're a year on into Sport Republic's um, tenure and things are a lot worse than they were 12 months ago. You know, of course, things take time. Um, Aston Villa got Unai Emery, uh, you know, mm. former Arsenal manager, Europa League winner. Wolves got Lepotegu. Um And you just feel Southampton, a club of, you know, similar status, maybe a little bit smaller than Aston Villa, but they've ended up with a championship manager, which, which is a risk. And I'm not saying Nathan Jones isn't going to succeed or can't succeed, but it's not anything to inspire the supporters. And I feel for them. I feel for them. You know, they, we know that there was, there was other consortiums that wanted to buy the club, um, you know, and could things have been different? I'm not saying that they, they need to get rid of them now, but I just feel that there hasn't been that much hope. Mm. I can see here Ellie saying, don't understand the logic of James' appointment. Clearly doesn't fit his system. Don't know how we beat Forest after their Chelsea performance. They look well coached. We look poor. Um, I can see Andrew here saying, uh, I just think it is sad. The club and the team seem directionless and lacking identity. Big feeling of dread and no optimism, reminiscent of 2005. And I can see that uh, Raul has also said, what I find hard to understand is that it seems like Nathan Jones hasn't watched us play over the last year. As otherwise, why on earth did he keep picking Diallo, Gineppo, Odozi for the midfield against Brighton? So lightweight and inexperienced. Um, Glenn, just to maybe finish on the Fulham game, I know you were quite scathing in your tweet after the game about championship style of football and the the fact that, you know, that's now three Premier League games under Jones. We've still not scored a goal from open play. Um, Interestingly, Marco Silva said after the game, they play a low mid-block every time, five at the back, four in midfield, waiting for mistakes. We were the only team that wanted to win the game. Do you already feel like, you know, Saints are too predictable in the way they're approaching these games and teams can analyse very quickly where our weaknesses are? It's nothing complicated about the way we play, is it? I mean, our, our attacking our attacking play has been poor, certainly since Danny Ings left. That the, there's there's been not a lot there. Amanda Brozier gave us something, um, even if it was just another option. You know, he wasn't great in some games, but teams had to concentrate with him on the pitch at least. Whereas, as I said earlier, Issa Diop, who's not the greatest defender, just had to stop Shay Adams getting to the ball, and that was us mm. done. Mm. You know, we did we didn't really have much i know we created a couple of chances in the first half with some uh with some vague sort of passing moves um but most of those it was like fulham made a mistake and the ball dropped to us in midfield and then the, the ball got knocked through there was there doesn't seem to be much much build-up going on and it it does look you know jones was appointed based on metrics wasn't it he satisfied the metrics well all jones's metrics will have been built up in the championship or in league one and it's the same as when you sign a player from league one or the championship, you know, Adam Armstrong, we just mentioned, it's, it's massive. It's a massive jump up. And it's very unlikely you're going to hit the ground running. And we needed a manager that was going to hit the ground running. And we ain't got one. You know, we've had we've had three games now, to be honest. Yeah, yesterday was the, the, the best one of the, um, of the three because the Lincoln performance was garbage. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in, in some ways I was more disappointed with that because I thought I'd see something. 
you know, some new impetus. Um, mm. But there just there just wasn't anything there. Brighton, he set up the team to be aggressive defensively. And that's why he picked Salisu and Lianco. And then Brighton didn't play with a centre forward. So we didn't know what to do. And mm. so, you know, you can do things like that in the championship because you know what you're going to get. He's he's not the, the, the right level. And you mentioned Wolves earlier on. That's going to be a really interesting comparison because Wolves were below us in the league. With with you know, so their squad you'd think is is pretty ropey as well. They haven't got a goal scorer, etc. Their manager won the first game straight away, so they went above us in the league, dumped us at the bottom. It'd be really interesting to see the difference between the points gained by Wolves and by us mm. between between now and the end of the season. So it's not it's a massive gamble. It's another gamble, like the young player thing was a gamble. Yeah. And you know, it's young players get injured and they have big dips in form. And and this happened, I mean. Just off the top of my head, Emma Raducanu in the tennis, young player, mm. good initial impact, struggled having to play every week, you know, and and it's the, it's exactly the same with with the with the footballers, you know. We've had going back, Livramento injured, Lavia mm-hmm. injured, Idozi looks like an injury waiting to happen, partly because of the way he plays, you know, getting kicked all the time and the and the and the cramp situation. So that's a gamble. Nathan Jones is a gamble. Hmm. And 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 what's what's going to go on in the tr- in the transfer window? We, you know, we, we're kind of looking at that as the last throw of the dice to try and save us. Now, you know, we've got these brilliantly aligned departments apparently. So you think they're going to sign players that are going to fit into Nathan Jones's vision, whatever that is? Oh God! Hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what are we going to do? Sign Ashley Barnes or something? Well, there is no <laughs> head of recruitment. Is there? There's there's no head of recruitment in position at the moment. Is there? Well, it's Rasmus. It's Rasmus. Yeah, An- yeah. It's Rasmus Ankerson who says nothing. Does nothing publicly. Spends half um, his time in Turkey. Spends half his time in Turkey talking up Gustepe or whatever they're called. What's he doing? He's got to take the heat now. You know, mm. I've seen people complaining about Martin Simmons. He's not really involved now mm. from the running the football club, you know, the playing side of things at all. So it's Rasmus Ankerson and his, his data analytics. And that's, that's a problem. Mm. That's a problem. It isn't working. Yeah. And it, yeah. there's not a lot that I'm seeing that's, that's given me much hope. If they pull four or five new players out the back, then, you know, but we we could sign Messi and we'd be bombing the ball over his head at the moment. <laughs> and it would, make no, it would make no difference. So I'm I'm struggling. So sorry. Negative and miserable. <laughs> there you go. That's fine. No, no problem. Um, look, I just want to say a quick thank you to everyone for all the comments. There's loads and loads coming in. It's hard to keep up with them all. I'm trying to, uh, I promise. But uh, I can see certainly Mark had said about the, the transfer market. We need to kind of get our ducks in a row and get some signings in the door ASAP rather than leaving it to the 31st. Obviously, that's not Saint style, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. And uh, I can see uh, a couple talking about um, the new manager bounce, you know, the likes of Villa. And I have to say, I watched Wolves against Man United yesterday, Glenn. And other than scoring a goal, I thought they looked pretty good. You know, you could tell there was a, a a sort of a you know different yeah. spirit amongst them. Steve, I, I was going to touch on the the Brighton game, but it, it feels like we probably don't need too many more nails in this episode. But it was poor. Um, you know, I was there. Probably that's the reason why it was so poor. But what, one question that I've seen come in as well from Mark was around Stuart Armstrong, and for me that was something that was really evident from that game. I mean, we just didn't get very close to them. It was a home game. It was Nathan Jones' first Premier League game. You felt like the players would be up for it, the crowd would be up for it, but it was all very you know nervy. That first half was abysmal, but. I wanted to ask about Stuart Armstrong because I appreciate there's more to the squad than him. But as I think Jacob tweeted yesterday, he's yet to complete 90 minutes for us this season. He didn't start again yesterday. He didn't start against Brighton. Do you feel someone like him is that maybe creative spark that we're missing? Because at the moment, it feels like we're going in with that. Let's try not to concede approach, whereas actually we should be trying to win games. 
Um, I mean, possibly, but I mean, Armstrong didn't tend to play many 90 minutes previously either, whether that's because he's kind of under instruction just to kind of run himself into the ground for however long he can put up with it. And then, and then we'll sub him off and bring someone else on. And then Ralph kind of took a, diff- a different approach um, with him back end of last season, start of this season, where he'd he'd be more used coming off the bench. And Nathan Jones seems to share that view for mm-hmm. um, for right or wrong. I mean, I must admit, I mean, Armstrong didn't really have a huge impact when he came on against Brighton. Maybe him and Arebo maybe gave us a little bit more impetus for about five minutes. Yeah, straight at the start after the second time. half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But after that, they both faded into an- anonymity again. He looked decent when he came on yesterday. I thought um, some positive runs, um, good through, good through ball for Perro. Um, maybe a little bit overhit, slightly wide, but but got got into good position. So that's that's the sort of stuff we're looking for from Armstrong. But for whatever reason, um, I don't know what it is. Whether he whether there's something in his head. I mean, I've I've heard heard this weird rumor that he's one of these sort of players that only really wants kind of looks as if he's up for it when. He's 100% doesn't have any sort of possible niggles going mm. on. Obviously, he tends to withdraw from the Scotland squad on a relatively regular occurrence. So I don't know whether there's any, uh, possibly a hint of truth in that, that that you've kind of got to got to kind of harness harness him when he's when he's fully fit, make the most of that sort of relatively brief period, and um, and then kind of fit everything in around it. But I mean, that's that's the sort of player we need. We need someone who can un, who can sort of unlock um, defenses in tight areas. And and mm. I mean, he's shown over the over the years that he's been in the club that he's capable of doing that. But I mean, it's it. I mean, as we've said, it can't just be one player. Um, you need everybody mucking in. And and I think the problem the problem that we have is that because we offer our defence so such little protection in front of it. We play against opponents who are happy to step forward 10, 15, 20 yards mm. on us. Mm. And that all of a sudden means that you're defending a lot more. Mm. Um, we, don't have a, we don't have a midfielder at the moment who has the stamina or the capability or the desire, seemingly, to basically do what Wanyama and Schneidlin um, used to do, whether it was mm. one or both of them in the team at, at, at the time, who would basically whenever the opposition had the ball in wide areas, he would basically be alongside the fullback and it would be up to the two of them in tandem to stop the cross coming in. The mm. reason that defence under Ronald Koeman was so good was because they never had anything to do. They never had cross it, they never had 25 crosses into the box that they, that they had to deal with where they, where they were put under pressure by, um, by good attackers because the ball, the ball stopped um, outside the area, the ball went out for a throw-in, and, and we could we could then regroup. We mm. don't have that at the moment, and the, just mm. the, the sheer number of balls that that we let teams throw into the into the penalty area and just cause absolute chaos. No wonder these these young centre backs we've got are, are struggling because we just put them under so far too much pressure. Mm. Alfie, I'm going to get you to uh, briefly reflect on 2022 in a minute, so you can have a think about that because it's probably going to be a challenge. But Glenn, before we do, look, I was thinking about this last night, and uh, I can see lots of um, you know disgruntled comments. And I think the fan base, all of us, are pretty low at the moment in terms of where Saints' next point is coming from. But we've currently got 12 points from 17 games at this stage of the 2004-5 season. We had 13 points, so we're one point worse off than we were then. Um, we've got 21 games to go in the Premier League, so still plenty of time. But if you take out maybe the six big six games that's 15 you know we probably need what 36 points to give ourselves any chance really of staying up so that's 
24 points from here, which is essentially eight wins. If you take six games off of 21, you've got 15 games. I mean, you're almost starting to talk about winning every other game just to give yourself a chance to stay up. I mean, it's a pretty desperate situation already, isn't it? It's interesting because the league table is so tight mm. from sort of ninth downwards. So it's... Um... I don't think it's absolutely desperate at the moment, but it will start to look that way pretty quickly. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute, but the Forest game coming up, that that's the sort of game you got to win. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of game that we didn't win in 2004-05 when we played all these teams at home. Like I remember one game against Middlesbrough where they were garbage. And we, that was Redna- Redknapp's first game, that was. We were 2-0 up, right yeah. up, yeah. up in injury time. And still down in, yeah, yeah, but it, it was teams like Middlesbrough and Birmingham, I think, were, mm. were in there at the time. And we, we didn't we didn't beat those. And that's why we went down. And uh, and if we're drawing comparisons with that season, then uh, Nathan Jones is, of course, our Steve Wigley, <laughs> which was which was marvellous. The, mm. the second manager we had that season. So uh, maybe we'll get another another red nap um, later on in the season. But yeah, it, it is looking a little bit, um, it is looking a little bit dodgy. And you, mm. you have to, if you want to stay up, you've got to beat Forrest at home. And as someone said in the comments, and I think someone said at the top of the show, we, we I watched a little bit of Forrest's game and we won't beat them playing like we played against Fulham, Brighton, Lincoln. You know, we'll have to be a hell of a lot better. They look like the sort of team that will give us a lot of problems. They they looked very committed. They kept they kept on playing when they were one 0 down against Chelsea, and um, and they got a point in the end. So um, and they didn't throw it away at the end. Yeah. So you know, fair play to them. I totally agree. Um, just finally, then Alfie, I, I can see a really good comment here. I'm just going to read out from uh, Josh. It says the difference in the Brighton game was so clear. They got the ball. They take their time. They work it side to side. Go backwards if they have to. And when the gaps appear, they pounce. We get the ball. It goes from one side to the other. The crowd boos. The ball is lumped forward, and we lose possession. I mean, that pretty much sums it up. But uh, what I wanted to just sort of touch on in terms of 2022, and, and maybe you know all the things that we hope will be um, more relevant in 23 is um, you know Saints are. Of all the teams that are in the Premier League this season, last season, they're bottom of the table in terms of, I think, you know, no one's won fewer games, no one's lost more games, no one's conceded more goals, no one's achieved fewer fewer points. I mean, it's been a, a car crash. I think it's 31 <laughs> points from 108 in the, in, the, in the year, Alfie. I mean, it's, you know, they've done well to probably mm. stay in the Premier League, but they are absolutely going to need to turn things around at the start of next year and, uh, well, start this year, sorry, and, uh, you know, hope for, uh, you know, better points from games, really. Yeah, I... I... Thank you very much, Ben. I think you've answered my question for me there. That's the perfect way to reflect on Excellent. 2022. Excellent. We'll move on to Forest then. <laughs> yeah, we might as well. Look, it started off really optimistic, didn't it, 2022, obviously, with, with the new ownership. And then I think what's maybe perhaps unique about last year is that your hearts have been crushed twice because you had new ownership and the season was going really well in February, in January and February. And then obviously it completely tailed off from there. And the beginning of the end of a manager who had been there for three or four years was evident and, and inevitable at that point. But then you had the summer where you know, money was spent and all of a sudden we felt that maybe this could be a little bit different. It's the first time that an ownership has been able to and has backed uh, the team, backed the manager, backed the club. Um, obviously we now see that there were, there were shortcomings that were, were not addressed and, whether they how much they tried to attack those, you know, we don't we don't know. Um, it's, it's obviously a year of massive change as well. I think in just in terms of um, in terms of strategy, in terms of the directing of football, as Glenn mentioned, um, you know, Matt Crock is obviously going to be leaving. Martin Simmons, we we suspect is probably not that involved on the footballing front anymore. Um, certain other members of, of the club are leaving as well. 
Um, the players have, have, have pretty much all changed. You, you've lost the old guards. You know, Aura Romeo has gone. Jan Bednarek gone. Might well be back. Um, potentially, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. Right. Um, I think it's been a, it's been a year that is is a massive shame for me personally. I, th- I think it was a shame that the Ralph Hasenhüttl era ended in the way it did as well. I think I think that was genuinely a shame because mm. he did do a good job at, at keeping you in the Premier League, like you just mentioned. And this year is going to have to be um, a lot, lot better. Otherwise, um, you're in trouble. Well said. All right, let's move on to have a chat about the uh, the Forest and Palace games then. Um, Steve, I know someone that wouldn't agree with this statement, but is, is it must win? Um, I mean, it certainly must not lose. I mean, I think you could you could make a case for if, if we get a point and we look like there's a direction and a purpose, then fine. You, you take that and you move on. If you lose, then all of a sudden you're thinking, OK, well, there's there's actual um, real world like immediate decisions that need to be made at this point. And... I mean, for, I mean, you look at Forest. I mean, yeah, they were they were decent decent enough today by the looks of it. Um, but Chelsea are a little Chelsea are are probably the flakiest of the of the big sides. We mm-hmm. beat them, for example, um, and we and we beat them well. And yeah, I I think playing playing them at the, at the City Ground and playing them playing them sort of on your own patch is a completely different proposition. They've scored, I think, they scored one goal all season away from home. Um, yeah, so obviously, yeah. obviously, we know what's coming now on when, on Wednesday night. You've read my but, notes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, one goal away from home, which I think was at Everton. I think it was one, in one in August. Draw. Well done, Steve. Very good. And yeah, so their their away form is terrible, and as a result, I think you're you're probably naturally going to see a slightly different Forest team to the one that we've seen today. And as a result, that that presents us with opportunities. I mean, their defence is Championship level. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would say, and with our championship level strike force, that should go um, should go go nicely up against them. It's a case of, at the end of the day, we've we've created chances in in these games, um, like all mm-hmm. all, the, all these games going back to sort of mm-hmm. pre Ralph sacking. We were like that. I mean, that Newcastle game still annoys the hell out of me because we battered them in for long periods of that game and just missed easy chances. If we can actually just take a couple of these chances. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, the mood changes, and maybe the players get a little bit of confidence. And all of a sudden, you see a little bit of a swagger in the game, and 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 everyone wants to get on the ball as opposed to now, where the situation seems to be, oh, I, I don't, oh, the ball's near me, I'd best get rid of it quickly um, because I don't want to be the guy that um, that loses the ball thirty yards from goal when they then pick it up and stick it in the top corner. So yeah, I mean maybe maybe we get we get something from that, and all of a sudden um, the mood changes. That's 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 the uh, the optimistic side uh, side of me kicking in. Um, Good. Maybe we should just the, end it there. The, well, yeah, it's like <laughs> more pessimistic side. Is it? It's like more pes- pessimistic side. Is it? it all it all collapses, and we're two 0 down inside twenty minutes, and the atmosphere is toxic. And that's it's like, well, like okay, it. the board the board then does genuinely have a decision to make. Mm, right, I can see. Uh... Not uh, overly optimistic uh, uh, messages and uh, predictions here. Uh, Mark's saying, my Forest game prediction, bearing in mind they've only got two points away from home all season and have only scored one goal. 3-0 to win to Forest. Incoming, it's the Southampton <laughs> way. Um, Senga Tully 1 says 1-0. Matt Bailey says, uh, I think it will be 2-0 Forest win. And the Hoyman says, it's very close to must win. Um, Glenn, look, you know, small margins maybe at this time of the season. Um, we're going to have four days recovery before that game. Forest have obviously played today. They've got three days, but they'll be coming off a positive result. We're coming off a bad one. So how does Nathan Jones try and get some energy and confidence into these players? Because as we say, I mean, it, you know, arguably it's a busy, biggest game of the year, four days into the year. Yeah, so he's got he's got four days. He had, he had five weeks not so long ago and <laughs> uh, didn't manage it. So um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, Forrest will come into it 
on the back of a great result. And and we've come in on the back of that Fulham game. So they will see it as a massive opportunity to sort their away record out. Um, and I, I fully expect them to be on the front foot and having most of the possession with us doing what we've been doing the last couple of games and just mm. smashing out of the park and hope, hoping for the best and trying to keep it tight, which is which is basically what it's about, as, as Steve has just said. You know, no one wants to take any risks, but that seems to be the manager's plan anyway for people at the back not to take risks. There might be one or two passes, but then it's going to go long. So, I, you know, I don't know. If we're going to go direct, I'd like us to do it with a bit more purpose. So I know, you know, we, we were slagging Joe Aribo slightly, or I was anyway, but if, if we're going to, if we're going to go to, if we're going to go mm-hmm. direct, then stick him up front with Che mm-hmm. and at least have some physical presence up there because I can't off the top of my head think of anyone else we could stick up there unless we, you know, put a centre off up there or something. And he played up but top for Rangers a bit, I think even yeah, in that if, European if, final, didn't he? So, if, yeah. if we're, if we're going to do that, commit to it properly. Lianco. Yeah, yeah. Glenn, well, Glenn that, would have Lianco everywhere. I'd, 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 I'd rather no, have him no. up front than at the back. Yeah. <laughs> for all, yeah. I mean, we're talking. You brought him up for for all Lianco's positives and the aggression that he brings. He's he's a calamity, isn't he? He's just he's just waiting to happen. I mean, just look at put that penalty that we gave away on on his highlight reel, and just look at that and the Leicester mm. header from last year. He's just accident waiting to happen, and we've got a Croatian international centre half sat on the bench. It, it's mm. it, it's mad. So, no, I wouldn't put Lianco up front. Midfield, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Midfield, maybe. But, but, Alf- but not up front. Yeah. Alfie, just before we do some predictions then, um, would you change anything in terms of the lineup? I mean, we were chatting off air before we came on about um, Gavin Bazuna. I mean, certainly he's not the only one, but his confidence looks a little bit low at the moment. Maybe some experience back there, like Caballero possibly playing in a game like this, or would you, you stick as you are and just give them a chance to turn it around? I think if Alex McCarthy was available and ready, I would potentially go for him, but I don't think he is. I think that rolled ankle has kept him out of two squads now, hasn't it? So I can't mm. imagine he's going to thrust him back in. At that point, do you put Willie Caballero in over Gavin Bazunu? Maybe. I'm glad that I don't have to make that decision, but I probably wouldn't, to be honest. I think Bazunu is, is, is going to be a good goalkeeper. I'll probably give him this chance. I'd go with a back four 100%. You know, go with a back four. Where a man, hopefully he's fit. Carl Walker Peters. I still play the, the, the 2 3 1 um, going forward. I think I put Chad Adams and maybe a rebound in behind him where he can sort of get away with not doing too much um, on, on the ball at least uh, off the ball rather but yeah I'd have a dozy and I'd just try and get some, some pace on the wings maybe El Yunusi on one side so not, not too much pace there but a dozy and El Yunusi on the side I mean El Yunusi gets a lot of stick I actually don't think that he's um, I don't think he's the problem in the team ever to be honest mm. with you I think maybe he gives the ball away sometimes um, and maybe he disappears slightly but I think he's the only player that I see along with Che Adams getting into areas for the likes of a dozy to, to play to so I would have him and Adozi playing for Che, Ariba in behind, hoping that he just, the knockdown that inevitably comes from Che tussling with somebody, falls to Ariba, and he's the one person in the team who'll score it. And then you have to find a pivot, don't you? You have to find a pivot of Warprouse and somebody else. Is Lavia fit, ready? Do you want to risk him? Um, do you go Maitland-Niles again? Hopefully not. Do you go Ibrahim Diallo again? You don't want to. Um, so he's got a lot of decisions to make that I don't want to have to make, mm. and I'm glad that I don't. I could see Dan Woodnut here said, I actually think we will scrape a win versus Forest, so I felt like I need to read out a, uh, a positive one. And Ellie's saying here, uh, Neil won miserable game and Forest snatched a goal in the 50th minute. We never recover and mentality is destroyed. At least we've got a brilliant state-of-the-art light show. And Glenn, do you know what? Before we got to our predictions, I wanted to make sure we brought that up because it feels like with Saints Brass and this groundbreaking light show before the game against Forest that all the entertainment's before kickoff these days. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And I care deeply about all that stuff. 
Yeah, moving right. on. Come on then. Let's <laughs> let's get your prediction, Glenn. What are you going for in the uh, Forest game? Uh, painfully awful one all draw. One all draw. Steve, what about you? Um, oh God. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Um, nil nil. <laughs> clean sheet. Um, clean sheet. Yeah, we take that, wouldn't we? So Sign yeah. I know, and uh, Alfie, as I said earlier on, um, I think Jacob was the only one that predicted a uh, Saints win at Fulham. All the rest of us had Fulham to win, which doesn't say a, a lot, does it? But mm. you and I, fuming, of course, because Mitrovic missed that penalty. We both had 3-1 Fulham. So uh, what do you think the uh, the Forest score is going to be? I think Southampton will win 2-1. We'll take that, Alfie, absolutely. Uh, I've got a 2-1 loss here. I just feel like... Uh, confidence is rock bottom at the moment we'll uh, we'll make sure that we get Jacobs and Martins and then uh, I'm sure Martin can update when he's back next week um, just quickly to finish then the uh, sort of next five minutes or so um, a look ahead to Crystal Palace next week um, Steve look with everything that's going on in the Premier League we quite often talk about a, a club like Saints the cup is realistically only ever going to be our opportunity to win something but given the position in the Premier League does it feel like that's now a bit of a distraction or is it a chance to go up there and uh, again try and get a win that then builds confidence um, both. <laughs> it's at the end of the day. If, if we win, then that then everyone says, "Oh, it's a great springboard for us, and we can mm. take that into the league." Um, if we lose, then it's like, "Well, that was uh, that was kind of just a distraction. We can it's at least out of the way and concentrate on the league." But it's yeah. I mean, but I mean, pa- Palace look proper up and down at the moment. Jack they were hide. yeah, yeah. yeah by, by all accounts, they were absolutely atrocious against Fulham on Boxing Day. Mm. Uh, obviously, had two men sent off and then went down to Bournemouth and, I mean, took advantage of Bournemouth being um, absolutely pathetic by all accounts. <laughs> I think that was that was the, that was was the actually the word that Gary O'Neill said for the, for the goals they conceded. So, yeah, you never quite know what, what Palace are going to throw out. I mean, you don't know what their attitude is going to be, be like towards the game. They've, I mean, they've, they've had some weird um, cup performances in recent years as well, where they've been dumped out by lower league opposition. I think Hartlepool went there and beat them a year or two back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're, it's a, it's one of those, I, I think realistically, you've got to put out pretty much, pretty much your strongest team, but I guess there's an eye on, on Man City the following midweek where, um, realistically you're having to put your strongest team out there to avoid to avoid an absolute spanking mm. um so yeah so it's a, it's a difficult one to manage with these with these games coming sort of back to back like that um just crap draws for us really I was going to say it's uh, football's a game of ups and downs, isn't it? It's, it's pretty easy to work out which side of the fence we're on at the moment with Man City just around the corner. But uh, Glenn, look, I mean, Southwest Park, we've we've had some pretty good wins there over the last years. We've had some pretty frustrating losses. We've had some sort of, you know, hard fought draws. I mean, it's it's one of those fixtures that does tend to go always. Yeah, as Steve said, they're they're massively up and down. And we, um, we said exactly the same thing before we played there in the league. And um, and we weren't great in that game. Lost one nil, and that's what I see happening again. To be honest, in this mm. um, in this cup game, it was interesting seeing them um, seeing them get the result against Bournemouth and the comments that got made afterwards. It'll be interesting to see out of us and Bournemouth who sacks their new manager first, <laughs> because I think I can't see um, <laughs> from what I've seen from uh, Mr. Foley at mm. Bournemouth, I can't see them yeah. hanging around too long if. Um, mm if Gary O'Neill probably doesn't win in his next three you'd games. Have, but you'd have thought he'd have had input into the into the signing, into the appointment, given that his takeover's been in the in the pipeline for months. Yeah. Yeah, but he won't um he won't care. You know, just <laughs> what did he say? What was his first line? I'm a dictator. So he, he's gonna <laughs> do he's gonna do what he wants, basically, with no with no consequence. So uh, but yeah, anyway, don't care about Bournemouth. But um yeah, back to back to Palace. It's it, it's a game that 
always seems to be quite tight and we try and negate their strengths. Um, Zaha obviously being the biggest. Um, I know Vieira has been getting a lot of stick recently because he's he's not he's been playing with um, Jordan Ayew, I think, mm-hmm. as a striker mm-hmm. who never scores. We know about that. Against us. Against, yeah, he scores against us. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see how Palace approach the game. But, uh, I mean, Palace are heading for a kind of nothing season where they just loaf around in mid-table. They're not going to go down. Mm. So, um, so I, I think Palace will go quite strong in this game and, it, and it'll be a tough one and we'll keep it relatively tight. But I can't see us getting anything from the game, to be honest. Fair enough. I can see Mark Kenyon here said 1-0 for us versus Forest, 2-1 for us against Palace. Just trying to stay as positive as I can. That's what we need, Mark. Um, Alfie, let's uh, end with you just before we get to your, uh, um, we'll get Steve's prediction as well, because Glenn's given his 1-0 loss. Uh, I've gone 2-0 loss because I'm feeling pretty uh, down at the moment. But how do do you see it going, Alfie? Do you feel like this is the right time to to maybe get a a step away from the the league and almost relax a little bit more with a cup game? Or do you feel like it just adds to the tension? Well, I don't think there'll be any relaxing involved, unfortunately, because they've still got to play two good teams in Palace and then, like you say, City immediately. So I don't think it's going to be a, a break for the players or anything like that. But uh, Steve was sort of talking about how it's um, how you view it if you lose and how you view it if you win. I, I do think that I don't really ever agree with the whole, oh, good thing we're out of the cup. It's one less distraction. I think the only time that ever is really relevant is when it's Europa League or Europa Conference League and it's a, a real war of attrition playing every Thursday in Azerbaijan and, and whatnot. That's when it really takes a toll. I don't think that um, it, it matters playing an extra cup game. What I think it is, is if you do beat Palace, it is a massive positive. And how many games have Southampton won this season? I should know off the top of my head, but I don't. Um, yeah, and you take anything you can get, can't you? So, uh, yeah, you, you obviously want to see a positive result. And uh, if they can, if they can go through in the cup, then happy days. But I agree with almost every word that Glenn said. I think it will be, I think it will be close. It will be tight. Um, we'll keep it tight. So I'm keep it tight, but they will win. And that's mm. the end of that cup run. And then look forward to a midweek and win that cup run as well. You, you guys can enjoy previewing that next week without me, uh, the Man City game. And so what are you going for in terms of a prediction for the Palace game then, Alfie? <sighs> Yeah, I didn't think about it at all, but I'm going to say 1-0 Palace. 1-0 Palace. All right, I can see Jacob uh, on WhatsApp's just gone for a 3-2 win. Sounds like a cup classic for Saints there, so that's good at Palace. Uh, Steve, let's end with you then. What do you reckon for the Palace game in terms of score? I'll go for the result that um, the absolute that literally nobody wants from either side. Uh, 1-0. No, no. Oh, okay. replay. Yeah. It doesn't go to penalties or anything like that then, Steve. It's just a replay, is it? No, it's a replay still. Um, yeah. Third and fourth round is kind of as normal, I think, this season. I don't think they... they they managed to get the rule, get any rule changes mm. in. I assume they'll, they're still trying to, they're still looking to bin off replays completely, aren't they? But yeah. understandably, lower, lower league sides are not, not in favour. There we go. Okay, well, that's it for this week's episode. Don't forget that you can follow Total Saints podcast on Facebook and Twitter. It's just at Total Saints pod. There's also our website, totalsaints.co.uk, which includes a link to our online shop, Total Saints Icons. We're also on Patreon, as I mentioned at the start, where you can support the podcast with a monthly contribution. We have four tiers ranging from £5 to £20 per month. Each comes with their own perks, including weekly shout outs for those patrons in our Francis Benali and Mick Shannon tier. So a big thank you to Dave Melton, Mark Atkins and Matt Hall in the Francis Benali tier and also to Colt Baker, Dave Ernsberger, Nick Hinkston, Phil Cook, Matt Rose and Nick Reed in our Mick Shannon tier. My thanks to Steve, Glenn, Alfie for their time this evening. Thanks to all of you for your comments. Sorry if we didn't get to them. We'll be back again next weekend when, amongst other things, as I mentioned, we'll be previewing the arrival of Manchester City in the Carabao Cup just when you thought things couldn't get any worse. Anyway, thanks for listening. Happy New Year again and catch you all soon. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. 
Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.